What's up, everybody? You're tuning back into your favorite sports talk podcast. Coming from the Kansas City, the 913 slash 816. That technically applies since you are 816. <laughs> yeah. You're tuning in to your favorite host, Tino Bernal, and my co-host as always, Ryan, the Rhino Murray, Big Murr. How we feeling, man? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. We got this Crown Apple can on deck. I'm digging it. It's a nice for a Friday evening. It's a nice way to start the weekend. It's an exciting weekend of college, or not a college, well, yeah, college hoops, but just sports in general. I'm very excited. Plenty of things to watch, especially this past week as well. So we do apologize for the delay. We had technical difficulties a week ago. We had some some family issues come up this week, but it's all good. We're here. This is technically episode 46, but we're going to call it episode 47 because we recorded episode 46 and we felt pretty damn good about it. But oh, it was a heater. But things just were not cooperating. So. We again, we apologize for the delay. Episode 47, we're coming in hot. We got a lot of things to talk about. Final four this weekend. We're going to talk some college hoops, preview some of the matchups. We're going to preview. Um, we're I kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown of how the Elite Eight, uh, the Sweet 16 slash Elite Eight, how it went. It was cool. Kansas City was on there. It was. Put Kansas City back on the map once again. NBA, we are now down to the last five games of the season, regular season. How wild is that, Ryan? Wild. That NBA season flew by quick. I swear. Yeah, it did. Every time you hit March, it's just it's a blur at that point. So this is now week 24 of the NBA season. We're not going to talk too much power rankings. We'll take a look at the standings instead. Give you guys an update on the playing tournaments for both conferences, especially the Western Conference. It's it's going to come down these last five games. There's also a race at the top of the Eastern Conference. Things are getting sticky up there. We'll give you guys some of the updates around the association. And then towards the end of the show, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL. The owners meeting happened this past week. We'll highlight a few things that were kind of intrigued me. And we're going to talk a little bit of Chiefs. Not, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of NFL news, especially regarding the Chiefs. <laughs> There was one fan. Oh, my dude. He is living life on the run, literally. Living legend. He is, he is out there. So tune in for that. Keep, keep listening to us towards the end of the show. We got a lot of good things to get into. But first, we're going to start episode 47, air quotes, with MLB. The MLB season officially kicked off yesterday on March, what was it, 30th? March 30th. It was an exciting day. I feel like I've become a bigger baseball fan within the last two years, especially reporting this news to you all. I feel like I have to be knowledgeable about it, especially being around Hector. You already know he was going crazy yesterday. I think he called in sick, actually. I would have. No, I'm just kidding. Not for MLB, but NBA. I got to work on it. (laughs) Well, it's funny. The MLB actually released a I mean obviously they were playing poking fun at jobs but they said that they would give people a like a fill out sheet say like uh I'm going to be absent because <laughs> of opening day and then give it to your employer so they did have that 
I wonder how many people actually used it and if it worked. I would have tried it. It would have been worth a shot. So we're going to start off this MLB segment, our first MLB segment in a while. We're going to take a look at the initial power rankings for week one of the MLB season. And to kick it off, we had the Houston Astros, who actually lost. The defending world champs, they're number one. The Atlanta Braves are number two. San Diego Padres. A lot of people are high on the San Diego Padres this year. Rightfully so. I mean, they have a lot of the stars. Can they put piece things together, though, this year? Hector doesn't think, seem to think so. He gave me some notes for this episode because we were, were trying to work out a way for him to come on and talk baseball, especially opening day. My dude. Unfortunately, he was not able to, but it's all good. But he, he said he's not high on San Diego. Just given the fact that they typically blow all this money and then choke at some point. His Los Angeles Dodgers are actually right behind them at number four. The New York Mets at number five. The New York Yankees at number six. The Toronto Blue Jays at number seven. Philadelphia at number eight. Seattle at number nine. And the St. Louis Cardinals round off the top ten. I like it. I think think it's pretty, pretty accurate. You could, I mean, people may disagree and you could probably interchange those top 10. San Diego is interesting though. And now we can kind of look at who has the best odds winning the World Series. Royals? I wish. They unfortunately do not. We actually dropped our first game, but we'll save that for the Royals update. I'm trying to find it. Here we go. Now, this was, of course, as of last week, so things might have changed. But the betting odds, if you're better, this is the perfect time. If you're going to place a World Series bet, because it's a futures bet, this is the perfect time. You don't want to wait too late in the season, because then the odds are not in your favor. So right now, for example, if you did want to bet on the Royals, well, this was as of, again, last week, but they... At that time last week, they were plus 20,000. Now imagine if they didn't win the World Series and you placed a bet right now. So you placed 10, 20 bucks. Looking at a pretty good payout. I don't know the exact number, but. Oh, it'd be worth it. it it's not bad. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't advise people to do it, but if you like the risk. I mean, you spend $20 on coffee. That is true. That's Keep a good point. Starbucks for a day or two. That is a valid point. Now, the Houston Astros, once again, have the highest odds at, well, as of that time. They probably still do. At that point, they were plus 600. The Atlanta Braves were at plus 750. The New York Yankees have the highest, second highest odds from the AL at plus 800. I feel like we're going to probably see a rematch of the ALCS once again. The Dodgers at plus 800, the Mets at plus 900, the Padres at plus 900. That's kind of who has the highest odds. Teams I would say to look out for. St. Louis at plus 2,000, and maybe even Seattle at plus 1,800. That's Macklemore's team. Let's go. You know you know what's funny about him? He's a, he's a big Seattle guy, like Seattle everything, Supersonics back in the day, the Seattle Kraken. I believe he's a part owner of Seahawks, of course, and then the Mariners. He grew up on King Griffey. But I believe his tour this coming summer 
He had a Royals jacket on. I saw that. I don't know how I saw that, but I saw it. Doesn't really add up if he's a Seattle guy, you know what I mean? Come to Kansas, man. And that's the thing. He didn't have a tour date in Kansas City. Maybe he just liked the powder blue. Could be. I, I thought it was kind of suspicious as to why he would do that, but that's neither here nor there. Now, now we can finally get into some of the highlights of the opening day. It took place. It was an all-day thing. It was a spectacle. You had the first game of the MLB season for 2023 between the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals, I believe at 12 o'clock Central Time. They kicked things off. It was an exciting day. I believe Ronald Acuna had the first hit of the MLB season. Some interesting tidbits I do have for you all on this technically 47th episode of Bartop Sports Talk. Opening, this is according to Talking Baseball. I believe their podcast as well. Go listen to them. They have some interesting stuff. Opening day games were an average of two hours and 45 minutes. Last year's, last year's average for a game was three hours and three minutes. So the pitch clock is definitely playing a factor through this first game, for the, through the opening day, especially through this weekend. We're definitely going to see a lot of change. There were 14 clock violations, eight by a pitcher four by a batter, one by a base runner, and one by a catcher. What's the penalty? I believe, so say if a batter's in the box and they're not getting into the box quick enough or if they're not adjusting their gloves and doing all that, I believe they get a strike. And then say if a pitcher isn't getting the pitch off quick enough, they get a ball. That's cool. So it, it definitely adds pressure. So if a pitcher, say if a pitcher's in a tough spot and he's – the counts, you know, 3-1 or 3-0, it's not looking good for him. And maybe he needs to step away for a second, but he's taking too long. That's a potential walk now. I like it. I think it could add a different aspect to the game. I did talk with Hector before the start of the season. I think the only thing it takes away is that the, the nice thing about a baseball game, and this is if you – consume alcohol at the baseball game over the summer or so or even in a tailgate before pregame you go in full well knowing that you're going to be kicking it and you know you're going to be kicking it for at least four hours potentially three and a half hours to four hours you can't do that now you know you definitely have to moderate or pace yourself be moderate you know it's probably a good thing people should yeah because there are probably some alcoholics out there. And this is going to cut back on their time. We say that as we're drinking alcohol right now. Hey, we do it responsible, though. This is Bartosz Sports Talk, after all. You know what I mean? Come on. And now there was one last interesting tidbit. There were 21 stolen bases. That is the most on an opening day since 1907. Dang. Over 100 years. What do you think causes that? That is because of the new, the bigger bases. So they went from a 15-inch base to an 18-inch base. So you're definitely going to see, you're definitely going to see more base hits this season. You're going to see a lot more stolen bases. You might even see stolen bases from players you, or most commonly wouldn't see it from. So the example of Salvi, <laughs> Salvi is definitely not known for his base running. You could see him steal maybe 10 bases. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw it out the, you know, that's not too far-fetched, I don't believe. Put the bet in now. You could. You could. You might win something. Now, some of the highlights of opening day, these are some that just stuck out to me. I thought that these players in particular, they really shined in their first game of the 2023 season. You had Adley Rushman of the Baltimore Orioles. He reached base six times, went five for five. He's the first catcher with five hits since early since the early 1900s. They didn't even really have an exact date. And then there is Jacob DeGrom. Are you familiar with who he is? Mm-hmm. One of the best pitchers in baseball. Unfortunately, he always gets hurt. But he made headlines this offseason when he signed a mega deal with the Texas Rangers after pitching for the New York Mets. Highly anticipated debut with the Rangers, of course. Everything's bigger in Texas. You're expecting you know, him to go six innings, probably strike out ten batters. It did not go according to plan, to say the least. DeGrom threw three and two-thirds innings, gave up six hits and five earned runs against the Philadelphia Phillies. Not a good start in Texas. Aaron Judge picked up where he left off from his 2022 MVP campaign. It got his first home run of the season in his first at-bat. Dead center shot into Memorial Park at Yankee Stadium. He went two for four. I believe he had a few RBIs. Shohei Otani, a tradition like no other. He's dominant on the mound, but the Angels still lose. He struck out 10 batters, and I believe he had a few hits as well, but it wasn't enough to beat the Oakland A's. Pain. That is pain, especially if you're a Los Angeles Angels fan. Because he's, I think he's a generational talent. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but he's, he's unbelievable. For your ace to strike out 10 batters and you can't produce more than one run, and you have Mike Trout and Shelly Otani on your roster, all the other guys have to do is just get on base. Yeah. I know you don't know much about baseball, but I know. Really, that's pretty simple. I mean, I'm a noob, and I know that much. That was just terrible. And then there was the web gem of the day. I'm going to go out and say that it was Hunter Renfro. I believe he is with the Los Angeles Angels as well. He made a no-look catch, I believe, in right center field, making a catch on the run. Dang. That's pretty spectacular, you could say. It was really cool. I was surprised that he caught it. I've never seen a baseball player turn away when they caught the ball. Yeah, I've been watching some highlights, man. It's just, it's going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm going to get better. These quicker games that may pick, pique your interest a little bit. Yeah. Long summer days. I know, I would say a, a majority of fans enjoyed the pitch clock, at least. They enjoyed the fast pace of the game. You're not sitting there waiting for a pitcher for a good 30 seconds now, 45 seconds. You're not waiting for a batter to adjust his gloves two or three times, mess with his helmet, mess with his belt, do whatever in the box. Yeah, I'm a casual, but I've seen that. that. That's been all over sports, media, 
the past few weeks especially as it got closer to opening day and it seems like all the young people are at least want to try it and all the you know older people the generations before don't like it so i it definitely is the the older crowd that's probably not a fan of it. They're used to the traditional baseball, and because of the, the the tradition of baseball as a whole, I mean, you have the whole America's pastime. I guess it's you know, probably to those people, it's like sacred. For example, you know, they don't want it to change. Kind of like the people that believe in the unspoken rules. Uh, can't stand that. Yeah, I feel like it's petty. I remember watching the Royals play, and I, I never even knew they were unspoken rules until then. Those are for the baseball purists. I'll say that. I will say that. Speaking of the Royals, it's our first Royals update in a while. They opened the 2023 season, again, like I said, with a loss to the Minnesota Twins. It was fairly competitive from a defensive standpoint. Offense, not so much. But it was the first time since 2018 that the Royals had a sellout crowd. 38,000 plus fans were in attendance. I was, that was shocking. I know people had to work on a, and it's on a Thursday, so I wasn't sure how many people were going to go to the ballpark. But at the same time, expectations for this team are very low. There are not a lot of people high on them. I believe their win total for this season is projected to be over under 68 and a half. I'm going to pick you over. I like the confidence. I did the same thing last year, and I actually won against Hector. But it was later in the season. This wasn't at the beginning. I think at one point over the summer, we had an over under 60. I said uh, over, they're going to hit 65 wins. I think they hit exactly at 65. <laughs> I got lucky. So, but I was very, it, it was encouraging because even though the expectations are very low for this team, to get a sellout crowd on opening day, now obviously that's, you're not going to get that every single day at, the, at Kauffman. It'd be nice, but that, that's just not realistic. The buzz around town, of course, was the new stadium. So maybe people wanted to really, Soak in Kaufman as much as they can before, you know, who knows what happens to it. The Royals opening day roster lineup looked like this. And for context, I do want to highlight real quick the 2022 opening day lineup. One thing that people will notice this year, you know, fans like yourself, Ryan, that probably haven't really paid too close attention to it. This team has had a lot of turn turnover from management to inside the clubhouse with the coaches to the players now here's opening day lineup last year 2022 Whit Merrifield no longer with the Royals here's our leadoff batter Bobby Witt Andrew Benintendi no longer with the Royals Salvi Carlos Santana no longer with the Royals Hunter Dozier very lucky to still be with the Royals Alberto Mondesi no longer with the Royals. Michael A. Taylor, no longer with the Royals. Nicky Lopez, he's now a utility player. I wish he was starting over a certain someone, which I will name right now. Now, fast forward, 2023 opening day lineup. Bobby Witt Jr. 
leads off the Royals or led off for the Royals. I think he is going to be a very good leadoff batter. He has elite speed. He's probably in the top 1% for base running, I would say. I mean, his speed, you wouldn't expect it, but he is probably just as fast or maybe just a step slower than Gerard Dyson. Remember him? Yeah. MJ Melendez, he is at number two. Salvi at number three. Salvador Perez actually was named captain for the 2023 Royal Squad. Fourth captain in team history. Mike. That's awesome. What's that? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Joins Mike Sweeney, Frank White, and George Brett as the only other captains. Now, I thought that was pretty interesting because you've had, the, I mean, the Royals have been around since, I believe, the late 60s or the 70s. Yeah. So to only have four captains, that's pretty interesting. You had Vinny Pasquatino at the four hole. Fremil Reyes, he's a new face. Michael Massey, he's at the six. Hunter Dozier, I do not know why Hunter Dozier is in the starting lineup. I don't know if it's an experiment. Maybe he gets one last shot. They're having him play third base this year. I am not a big fan of that. Not only because, one for, for one, his bat is inconsistent. He had a solid 2020, 2020 season. And he was able to get a contract, I believe. He's, for the most part, been a decent utility player. But for him to play third base, that's just not him. Honestly, if I was Matt Quattrero, the new skipper, Coach Q, you could call him, I would have Nicky Lopez be at third base and be in the lineup at either, you know, six or seven. Nicky Lopez... I don't know if who has a stronger arm between him and Hunter Dozier, but I do know that Nicky Lopez has a gold caliber glove, and Hunter Dozier does not. And then following Hunter Dozier is Kyle Isbell. Kyle Isbell is now the starting center fielder. I'm really hoping that he can fill in well in the outfield this year. There's talks that he had a pretty solid spring training. He's been a prospect that has had... A bunch of opportunities. Hasn't really lived up to it. He's been okay. Not great. Not terrible. Just kind of average. He's filling in right now for Drew Waters, though. Drew Waters. The expectations are a little bit higher for him than Kyle Isbell. And then Edward Olivares rounds off at the nine hole in left field. Edward Olivares, I'm excited about. I believe he is one of our better power hitters between him, Salvian. Benny Pasquatino and Bobby Witt and MJ Melendez. I'm excited about him because I think he's not appreciated enough, in my opinion. And then the starting pitcher, as I mentioned at the top of the show, or towards the top of the show, Zach Grinke opened for the Royals. I can't remember how, how many opening day games this is for him now. This is year 20 for him, though. Very long, prestigious career for Zach Grinke. One la- I think it might be one last run for the boys in blue with him. I was very surprised that he came, wanted to come back. I'm glad the Royals got the deal done. He actually pitched pretty well. Wasn't it good enough for a quality start, but he, he, did, he did enough to get the Royals in a position to win. And it's unfortunate that they weren't able to score more than two runs. 
the Royals actually only had two hits the entire game. They were in position where they had the bases loaded as well and didn't capitalize on it. Zach Greinke went five and one-third innings, four strikeouts, only two earned runs. Even though I would say he probably, one of them shouldn't have been earned, I don't think. I think Royals, you mentioned that you had them at over 68 and a half. That's tough. I really don't know what to think about them. I think defensively, they're going to be pretty decent. Yesterday kind of scares me from a batting perspective. If they can't get runs on the board, then I don't know. Because our pitching our pitching is still a very big question mark. Our bullpen isn't the best. You have a few guys in there that I think you feel comfortable with. Carlos Hernandez, Scott Barlow, Jose Quas, Amir Garrett. He didn't have a very good outing. But it's going to be interesting. I don't think they make the playoffs this year. It'd be nice if they were at least maybe on the verge for competing for that last wild card spot. I think that you can feel positive about that heading into the 2024. It's just they they have a lot of holes still to fill. Yeah, just as long as we're competitive. That's all I ask for. They don't they don't need to make the playoffs, but at least show signs of improvement. For sure. That's what the 2023 season should be. As I mentioned, I talked about how the fans, how the sellout crowd, fans were probably one to take in Coffin Stadium as much as they could while it's still there. There were renderings this week. There was a first look at a proposed deal, or not proposed deal, but proposed stadium construction by Mammoth Construction, the company. There's going to be a downtown ballpark. That's what the new ownership wants. That's what some of the investors want. A lot of money implications on the line with it. It's a, it is an intriguing thing from a business perspective. It could lead to more revenue. The first glance or the first look at it that Mammoth put out, they plan to build it at the site of the old Kansas City Star, which I didn't know the Kansas City Star moved out of Kansas City Star's building, but they did, apparently. They now are, I believe, closer to Crown Center. But that building, are you familiar with where Kansas City Star is? They're going to tear that down. This is only a proposal. They're planning to tear that down, and it's right across the street, technically across the highway from T-Mobile Center. There's also the proposed plan to build that massive park over i-670 did you see that as well uh you told me about it i think it sounds really really cool the park is interesting the engineering behind it it would be that's a i don't know that's like a modern day i don't even know how to describe i mean people would come to the city just to see that park yeah that'd be a huge advancement for kansas city especially for downtown lifestyle they're planning to have that stadium right next to that park. So it kind of goes hand in hand. You have one attraction and another attraction right there. I, the, the design of it, though, I wasn't a fan of it. It looked too much like a soccer stadium. And I think that I was telling Hector, too, if you're going to build a downtown ballpark, you need to have the back opened up, the back of the stadium in the outfield. You have to see the downtown. Yeah, What's I it? agree. 
what's the point of being downtown if you have it all blocked off? You know what I mean? So I wasn't, I wasn't too fan of it, too big of a fan of it. I really don't know what's going to happen with it. I don't know how to feel. Would a downtown ballpark be nice? Would it be cool? Would it be something exciting, something to look forward to? Yes, but there's just so many memories down at Kaufman. That and you have parking. How would you get in and out of downtown for a baseball game? Oh, that's a great point. Oh, my gosh. There's really not that many parking garages, if you think about it. Just look at what it's like to park for the Big 12 tournament. I mean, it wasn't too bad because we came, the sessions we were in, it wasn't that busy. We weren't leaving when the other sessions were coming, too. You know? that, yeah, that one wasn't terrible. They they still have a lot to pan out, for sure, within the next year or so for to form proposals and different things. I believe you actually play a part in this. They are going to have, Jackson County residents are going to have a vote in August as to whether they're going to approve for it or not to be in Jackson County, so the downtown area. Otherwise, the Royals organization is going to have to look elsewhere for different potential sites. So it's definitely going to be something that's going to be in the news all year, probably within the next few years, too. I'm I'm really interested to see what Jackson County residents think of it, at least. It'd be cool. Be something different, definitely. I mean, change is change can be good. I just don't know. I love Kaufman. Yeah, me too. I think I think you have to at this point soon. Maybe even if the team's not going to be playoff ready, what would your best hope be? Three or four years. Maybe. Maybe closer to five. Hopefully not five. Yeah, but like actually ten for a World Series. So maybe at least if our team's not as good, but we move the, like you said, move the stadium, do the new stadium thing, would bring in new revenue, attract more people downtown, stuff like that. Realistically, I'd say you have, I really just rest on it if they can get pitching. Probably three years before they really start contending. They could potentially be a playoff team, like a wild card team. They, I mean, I wouldn't count them out of winning the division within the next two or three years. Just because the AL Central really isn't that strong right now. You have the White Sox and the Guardians. Guardians won it last year. They've won it the last few years. They're pretty consistent, but even they aren't a powerhouse. Chicago's a little overrated. Do you think how we do the next few years could push that into reality? Moving the stadium? It could. It really, if Jackson County votes no on it, then it just goes on the back of the owners and they'd have to find investors to, to you know, for it to be built because I believe it's going to be $2 billion. Oof. Yeah, so and I can understand if Jackson County residents don't want to have that come out of their pocketbooks or their taxes. So, I mean, I get it. Now, I always move along towards the end of this MLB segment, the first week of the MLB season. There were some, each team, I thought this was really cool that they did this. Each team, before opening day, they gave a sneak peek at some of their new ballpark items, food-wise. I think 
you would like some of these, Ryan. I thought a few of them looked really tasty. Now, for one, for example, the Los Angeles Dodgers had a deep fried cheesecake with raspberry sauce on a stick. I'm in it. It looked diabetes, but very good. Oh, you can take my toe. I double up on that. I'm in the same boat with you, I think. For real. And the Chicago Cubs. Now, me and Marissa, we may just go take a trip to Wrigley Field just for this. Chicago Cubs are going to have a quesadilla taco. And it looks so good. I can kind of, I can show you a picture. I know the listeners, you guys won't be able to see this, but oh my goodness. Just look at that. I'd love to be a third wheel. Dude. Not only is Wrigley Field such an awesome ballpark, but that just looks chef kiss. Definitely. There were a few others, though. The Texas Rangers. Now, I don't know about this one. The Texas Rangers had a two-foot-long boomstick burger. I don't know if I'd be interested in eating that. You gotta have at least probably 10, 15 people. That sounds like too much. It sounds a little miserable. That you'd be eating yourself sick. Yeah. That doesn't sound enjoyable. I don't know what all the contents were of the burger, but I thought it was interesting. This one, this is probably the most unique one. There were there were some ones out there. You know, they, these people really were pretty creative and were definitely doing something different. But the Mets, I think they take it. The Mets are featuring a honey honey barbecue fried chicken sandwich on a glazed donut as the bun. Oh yeah, I'm in there. You you'd give that a try? Oh yeah, hundred percent cheat day. That that would be the ultimate cheat day. That's awesome. I I just don't know how I'd feel about the honey glazed honey glazed donut as the bun though. You know, or the the glazed donut as the bun. Don't put restrictions on your taste buds. No, no, I'm sure it would. I'm sure the taste of it wouldn't be bad, but like, you know, just sticky fingers because of the glaze, there's all the sugar, you know what I mean? Yeah, feel that. You just got to get nasty with it. That's the only way around it. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, you'll like that. You just got to go for it. That is true. That is true. The Marlins, we'll end it with this one. The Marlins, similar to the boomstick of the Texas Rangers, they're having a two and a half pound Cuban sandwich. Now, Cuban sandwich, I think that it's a little bit more spicy. Have you ever been to, to Jimmy John's? They kind of have a Cuban sandwich. Yeah. And I think it'll probably be something similar, maybe a little bit better. It, it was also a very long sandwich. You probably need at least 10 to 15 people to eat it. Yeah, I don't even know 10 or 15 people, so I'm out on all those items. You, you start inviting people. Put a, we'll, <laughs> put an advertisement out on like Facebook or something or... On Craigslist, want to come eat this giant cheeseburger with me? At the ballpark? I'd end up on first 48. I can't do that. Can't go out like that. Uh, Now, one last thing. And I want you to give your prediction, too. I want your input. We will talk the projections for each division. The division winners, at least. I'm sorry. So, this is who the MLB projected, and this was as of this was as of February, so a while back, but I think it's still 
is relevant because I think this is what the majority of people are probably picking, minus with like a few few exceptions. So, according to MLB.com, at that point, they had the New York Yankees as the winners for the AL East. They had the Minnesota Twins as the AL Central winners. I think some people would probably pick the Cleveland Guardians. May throw in the Chicago White Sox, but I feel like they're a little overrated, as I mentioned. The AL West, Houston, they're the odds on favorite to win it all again. The AL West, I think you'll probably see some competition from Seattle. And from Texas, it's hilarious. They actually have the Los Angeles laid Los Angeles Angels had number two. I really don't see that happening. NL side, you have the New York Mets at number one, as the winners of the NL East. The, the this is interesting. The Milwaukee Brewers at that time were projected as the NL Central winners. I think a lot of people have the St. Louis Cardinals, and then the NL West. You have the Los Angeles Dodgers. A popular pick this year, though, is for the San Diego Padres to dethrone the Dodgers in the NL West. Now, in your opinion, I know you don't really follow baseball too much, but who are your division winners? I can kind of help you out with it. So, AL East, I'll go Yankees. Smart choice. AL Central, Guardians. AL West, Seattle. NL East. I don't know so hard. NL East is going to be, it was a really entertaining division to watch last year. I think it's going to be the same this year as well. The Mets. NL Central Cubs. West Dodgers. I don't really know anything about baseball, though. Playing playing some of the favorites? I like it. I mean, you're not too far off. You're not too far off. I think those are pretty good picks. Now, for me, I had the Yankees in the AL East as well. I had the Guardians in the Central West. I had Seattle as well. Seattle's a popular pick. I think them and the Padres are two of the more popular picks for division winners this year in the betting world. The NL East, I went with the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. I think they're the favorites in that division. They have their roster structured very well. They have everybody under contract. They want it. Two years ago, I think they're a team that you could see get back into the World Series potentially. The NL Central, I have the Cardinals. I mean, you have Arenado and Goldschmidt. They added a few pieces as well in the pitching department. I think they're going to be a good team. The NL West, I'm going the Padres. Like I mentioned, they've been a popular pick. Some may call them overrated. Call them what you want. I think they're going to upset the Dodgers this year. One person won't be too happy about that, but that's okay. If you had to throw out a guess, who would be your World Series winner this year? I don't know. Do you think the Astros could potentially go back-to-back? I hope not, but I really don't even have a guess. Give me a couple weeks. Okay, okay. I'm going to be watching. That's fair. If I had to guess, it is a very hard pick. I think this year there's more candidates than last year. Last year's World Series was the Astros and the Phillies. I don't think you're going to get that matchup again. The Astros could potentially get back. They did lose Justin Verlander, but they're still a very good team. 
I don't think see the Astros win. Some people are saying Padres. I don't think they get that far. It's tough. Why? Why not the Yankees? I don't think. I don't know. I'm gonna wait two weeks as well. You know what? We're gonna put that on the back. We'll do a rain check on that one. Me too. Now, now that we highlighted one of the biggest stories—not really biggest stories, but one of the biggest times this time of year, opening day—it also leads into the next major sporting event this weekend, the Final Four. College basketball season is finally coming to an end. To recap the Elite Eight real quick, we had an exciting Sweet 16 Elite Eight. I think you could say the upsets continued to come. This was the first Elite Eight with no number one seed since the 1970s. No Blue Bloods, no Kansas, no Duke, no Kentucky, no UCLA, North Carolina. No Indiana, no Michigan State was there. Yeah, I saw it was the first Final Four ever without a top three seed in it. Just unbelievable. The college basketball tournament has been going on for decades. I believe over 50 years, and this is the first time no number one seeds make it to the Final Four. It's crazy. It's going to be exciting. It makes for an interesting... So semifinal and championship game. Because out of the four, only UConn has actually won a title, right? They've actually won two within the past, or not within the past few years, but they've won two at least within the last 15 years. But the other three haven't won one at all, right? No, they'd be first-time winners. That's going to be cool. I'm rooting for that. Now, there is actually six perfect final four picks. In the March Madness app. You know, in the March Madness app, you can pick your own bracket. Six people picked the Final Four correct. Hmm. I want to know who those people are, and I want to... Yeah, teach me everything, please. They, they better have placed a bet on that. Because if they didn't, they missed out on a lot of money. There is absolutely no way someone could have predicted that. Florida Atlantic, Miami... UConn and San Diego State. There's no way, absolutely no way they predicted that. Isn't this incredible? The odds of that happening are probably tremendously low. There was other people that picked it well or correct as well, though. Someone placed a DraftKings bet. I think this might have been at the beginning of the tournament, though. But they placed a $24 bet. On the correct final four, and it paid out to a, oh, a little over $23,000. I just wish I could do that. I wish. I did make a bet for the MLB. I picked the division winners. It was a $1 bet. I think I had the potential to win like over $100. Rooting for you. I mean, I hope I, I get that. I wasn't so lucky with my NFL predictions for division winners. That was a free $100 bet, and it could have paid out to $97,000. But, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. It's the way she goes. One of the interesting things, though, as well, as we're still talking about betting, in December, a better on Superbook Sports placed $500 on Florida Atlantic. 
who at the time were 401 odds to make the Final Four, they just won $200,000. Except I would never advise anyone place to place a $500 bet. That's pretty risky. And if, if you're like me, you're probably only betting like 2 or $3 at a time. That's the links that I will go to. I don't get too, too wild about that. Florida Atlantic. I want to highlight them. They're the, prob- they're the Cinderella of this. March Madness. Yeah, they are. Nine seed. No tournament wins before this year. 0.7% of people picked them for the Final Four. It's the first team since 2018-2019. The Virginia Cavaliers to win 36, or 35 games. They won that many games for a reason. One thing that I thought that was the craziest thing is usually those teams like that, like the mid-majors, that go on a run like that. They're full of, you know, upperclassmen. They only have one senior on the team. It was a lot of sophomores. Like, I saw a lot of red shirts, stuff like that, but not a lot. I think I only saw two juniors. I thought that was insane. I would have thought it would have all would have been like, you know, grad transfers and seniors, stuff like that. I think that makes it even more amazing that they're a young team. It's it's definitely impressive. The and then even the story of the head coach is a former ball boy. He I believe I saw a report that when he first started at Florida Atlantic, he contemplated quitting. I saw that too. Because I, I I mean I don't know why he would have quit. I know times were probably hard at the at that point, and they you know being a mid major Florida Atlantic, I think they're in the. I couldn't even tell you what conference they're in, but I mean, recruiting wise, you're probably not getting very much help. Resources, probably very limited. Yeah, you're getting kids that had to go to JUCO for a couple years to get their grades right or because their game wasn't really ready for the next level. Stuff like that. It was definitely an uphill climb. Salute to him. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make a lot of money this year. A lot. I wonder if he follows the the trend that's gone on lately with the college basketball coaches that have success in March Madness and then go on to another that next job. I think you have to. I think that's kind of the point. I, some people get real weird about it, but I mean, he did something for that program no one has ever done before. So if he leaves, I mean, yeah, he's you know, wants to make better money for him and his family, but not only that, get a better opportunity. I say go for it. I mean, yeah, you never know. College basketball, especially, there's it's a revolving door for the head coaching position. You could see maybe even a high level Division One basketball program have a vacancy, and you know, this gentleman could fill it. I I feel bad. I can't remember his name. Do you have his name? The Florida Atlantic coach? Uh, Dusty May. Dusty May. So, I mean, maybe Dusty May could be a candidate for, I don't know, say uh, Nebraska. I mean, I think his current contract or whatever, it's like 400000 with like a 5% increase. And I know there's weird things about the contract, but, I mean, he might be able to go somewhere and make easily over a million. Like, that's a big pay difference. I genuinely think he could have success at a Nebraska or at a Missouri or, you know, schools like that. They're notable, but they're not 
a blue blood, obviously. More than anything, he's proven that he can do, he can excel with a roster that probably wouldn't be there with another coach. There's probably very few coaches that could take that team that far. So, I mean, he's proven, imagine what he could do with, you know, a couple four stars or something. Maybe even get lucky and get a five star or some grad transfers at a blue blood program. He he definitely could potentially could have a bright future, especially if Florida Atlanta wins it all. Yeah, especially if they win this game, that would be crazy. Which they have a, I mean, that's a real possibility. Like, there's not one team right here where I'm like, oh, they're 100 percent gonna win it. I'd probably give UConn the best odds. They've dropped some games this year too, so I don't know. I think they're a different team right now. I did highlight <laughs> in episode 46. The forgotten episode, <laughs> the one that didn't save. But in the archives, I did say that Rick Pitino of Iona, the head coach, obviously everyone knows who Rick Pitino is, he was very impressed. He's, he was blown away by this UConn team. He said, hands down, they're probably the best college basketball team this year. The roster was structured well. They were coached well by Coach Hurley, the Hurley brothers, if you remember them. His brother played for Duke. His dad's at St. Anthony's in New Jersey. There was the basketball coach at the high school there. I think they, they are, I've said that in the round of 32, after watching them play the first couple games leading into the Sweet 16, they were my pick to win the championship at that point after KU lost. I think they're still, I think they're still going to do it. But I am rooting for Florida Atlantic, which we can kind of get into. Final four preview. Florida Atlantic, San Diego State. San Diego State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They've been arguably the top defensive team in the tournament so far. I believe they've only given up, I want to say, 50 points. Or So they gave up, sorry, they gave up 64 points to Alabama. That's not bad. That's actually holding Alabama way below their averages. They held Furnham to 52 points, and they held Charleston to 57. So they are holding teams to around probably, what, 58 points per game? Yeah. That's going to win you some ball games. That defense is suffocating. I believe they have a pretty experienced starting five. Oh, yeah, they do a lot of seniors, a lot of juniors. They even have juniors and seniors coming off the bench. So it's going to be one of those. They're, I mean, they have a really deep team, too. I don't know a lot about them just watching the previews about, like, the games. They just have a really deep team. Just a deep team experience on the court and coming off the bench, too, every time. That's tough. Makes a difference. Like, for a lot of teams, you know, when you have to go to the bench early or you have to go to the bench at all, it's usually a little bit of a talent drop or at least they're not as good shooting the ball or defending the ball, something like that. But when you can bring players off the bench that don't really lose anything, that's kind of crazy. It's going to be hard for anybody to beat, but I hope they do it. I want to say Florida Atlantic probably had the toughest path to the Final Four, if you really think about it. They had to play Memphis, coached by Penny Hardaway. I don't really know if you can say coach too much. But but he's gotten a lot of talent, a lot of the young talent. He they've Memphis has essentially become, you know, the Kentucky of the two thousand tens era where they get a lot of the four or five star 
recruits. They've become that. A lot of young talent. Florida Atlantic went up against them and beat them. Fairly Dickinson, no one was expecting that. Obviously, that was kind of a. It was a close game, but I think people were expecting Florida Atlantic to potentially win that one. Although the the hype around Fairly Dickinson was huge after they took down Purdue. Yeah, it was. But he, but then they beat Tennessee. Tennessee. A lot of people were looking at them to potentially cut down the nets this season. They've beaten a lot of good teams. Hell, they beat us by 20. You know, they, they're a physical team. Florida Atlanta beat them. And then they played the, the darling of college basketball this year. They beat K-State. They beat Jerome Tang, which I want to highlight Jerome Tang here in a few minutes. But they beat them, too. I'd say that's a pretty tough. Tough path. Yeah, they definitely had to fight to get there. Those are some quality programs that they played. And to now you're going up against a defensive juggernaut, in a sense. It's going to be interesting. If you had to pick, though, who are you going with? FAU. FAU to the championship game. Yep. Who are you going with? I'm writing them down now. I'm going with FAU as well. I'll go with you on that one. I think they beat San Diego State. They overcome that defense. Florida Atlantic's the team of destiny. All right, so who do you got, the U or UConn? Now Miami. Miami's an interesting team. They have three playmakers. They have Nigel Pack, which I forgot he transferred from Kansas State. Yeah, I forgot that too. I remember him and Marquise Noel. They were a really good backcourt last year from an offensive standpoint. Defensively-wise, they're on the smaller side for point guards and shooting guards, but they're, they're exciting from an offensive perspective. Nigel Pack, though, he's the leader of that team. You also have Isaiah Wong. He's a pretty good offensive playmaker as well. And then there was also another guy. I forgot his name. He had, I'm going to look him up real quick. He shot, I believe, Jordan Miller. Yeah, he had... How many free throw attempts? And they lead eight against Texas. Uh, I don't know. Thirteen free throw attempts. He was perfect from the field. Oof. He scored twenty seven. So you have those three guys. Miami's path. They beat number one Houston. I think people were expecting that to happen though. We called Houston getting upset by Auburn. It didn't happen. But at some point, they were going to be a team that got, that got got. They were one of the weaker one seeds. Well, one and two against ranked opponents, like 33-1 and one or 33-0 and oh against unranked opponents this year. Yeah. They took down Indiana. Indiana was a popular pick. Or not really. They lost trash games this year. Yeah, I agree. Never mind. Indiana was a bit overrated. They probably shouldn't have been a four seed this season. Probably. But Miami beat them. But to to start the Mar- to start March Madness, Miami was a popular pick to get upset in the round of sixty four by Drake. Yeah. So to get here to overcome that, to take down Indiana, to take down number one Houston, and then to really beat Texas. This Texas team that they beat as the season went on, especially towards the end of the season, they were probably playing as well as anybody. And after they beat KU and when the seeding was coming out and everything for the tournament, I was looking at them as a Final Four team. 
and I'm sure a lot of other people were as well. They looked like a team that could have won the championship this year. And honestly, the way that game went, some ticky-tack fouls. I'm not saying Texas got hosed, but Miami shot a lot of free throws. Don't put it in the ref's hands. That, that is true, too. That is true, too. Miami, I feel like they, they've overcome some adversity. People definitely slept on them. They they weren't as slept on as Florida Atlantic, of course. Now, UConn. I think UConn, as I mentioned, they're the most talented team. They took down Providence. They took down Marquette. Or, no, sorry. They took down Iona. They beat a, a quality St. Mary's squad. They beat Arkansas. I feel like they had one of the easier paths, though. Yeah. You know, Iona, they're a good basketball program, or decent basketball program for the mid-major level. You have Rick Pitino. But UConn has obviously outclassed them from a talent perspective. St. Mary's. St. Mary's plays in the West Coast Conference. You're not going to play the same teams in the Big East. And really, UConn, they played pretty well at the beginning of the season. You know, they were in the top three for a while. We highlighted that a few times. Arkansas, everyone knows the game against Arkansas, and KU was a fluke. Mm. <laughs> I sound like a hater, but really, KU should have probably beat them. But even then, if KU did play UConn, I think UConn would probably beat us. I'm not going to lie. You never know, though. That team, that KU team this year, with how well they could lock down defensively sometimes and just smother teams and just run them in transition. And before you knew it, I know there were a few times we were down 10 or 12 against some of these teams, and you look up two or three minutes later and we're up 10. So, I don't know. It's just hard. I know we have a history of getting beat by threes in the tournament, but... Uh, you never know. They were just the Jayhawks were just such a streaky team this year. I just after watching UConn play the first few games, I think that they would have definitely had a little bit of trouble with them, more trouble than they had with U or Arkansas. But then they they dismantled Gonzaga. Oh yeah, I think everybody in America was happy about that. But I really do think that they had the easiest path, so to speak. I don't see Miami beating them, though. I'm going Florida Atlantic, Miami, or Florida Atlantic, UConn in the championship game. Who do you have winning at all? If FAU is there, why not them? Why not them? If they make it that far to the championship game, why not them? As I mentioned, they won over, they've won 35 games for a reason. That doesn't happen very often. They're a good team. You have UConn and FAU in the final. FAU wins it all. Mark it down. Lock me in. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to go with Miami winning. Miami, Miami wins the whole yep. thing. The U wins it all. The whole enchilada. Yep. Not a, bas- not a football school, but a basketball school. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> yep. If everyone remembers the early 2000s of the U. Yes, I still need to get that chain. They're taking it to the hardwood now. Okay. Bold prediction, Mr. Murray. Before we round off college basketball, and actually I got to give an update real quick on the Bar Top Sports Talk Tournament Challenge. Wasn't much of a challenge this year. It was not good. We didn't last that long, Ryan. Also, the Lady Jayhawks 
whatever you call them, they play Columbia in the NIT championship tomorrow at one thirty. That's right. Four thirty, my fault. Four thirty. We do have to shout out the Lady Jayhawks. Killing it. One game away from the NCAA tournament. They could have just decided to not play in the NIT or had a poor attitude, but instead they said, All right, let's run the table. Honestly, they probably should have been in it. The, well, yeah, they were one game away from they should have been in it, but one game away, but they got it. Thank you for shouting that out. I forgot about that. So it looks like David, special friend of the show, my brother, it looks like he's going to take the money, unfortunately. Yeah, I was down bad. It should have been me. No, it, it was it, the <laughs> the points. Usually, usually at least somebody makes it to 1,000 points because I think the total points system, the way they go is I think 1,600 or something like that, 1,650. There might even be eighteen hundred points. Yeah, dude, not I think I'm second to last. Nobody even broke six hundred. Mm. David's at five sixty right now, but he's projected five sixty. Everyone's already hit their projections. Actually they placed fourth. So I mean I guess that counts for something. I don't know how I did last year to compare the two. Marissa didn't retain her title. That's okay though. What's we'll to pay Dave. But before we round off the March Madness update, as I mentioned, I did want to I want to throw some shout outs out there. Shout out Jerome Tang. Getting K State to a, an Elite Eight, ultimately to lose again to a lower seeded team for what the third straight time. I'm throwing shade. I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. They had a good season. They had a good run. They had some likable players on their roster. Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel. They were likable guys. Jerome Tang's a likable guy. People were actually hating on him for going into the locker room of FAU after the game. Oh, me too. I think it's embarrassing you're not a head coach, big dog. How often are you going to get a player with NBA talent that his basketball career is over, nobody else clears him to play, and then he's cleared to play for your team? How often is that going to happen? Let's see him recruit his own team for a couple of years and see how they do. I am interested to see how he'll stack up within the next two years, but not too good. <laughs> they, I do give respect to him, though. I give respect to Rodney Terry, Texas head coach. Congratulations to him. He actually just signed the contract to become the head basketball coach. Deservingly so. After being, the I interim. like that dude. I think he possibly. All right, I think he should have won. Big 12 Coach of the Year. We talked about that, I believe, a few weeks ago. He should have won it over Jerome Tang, but, I mean, they're both deserving. I, I really I respect him, too. Texas kicked our ass this year. They had our number. I mean, it, 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 it just is what it is. They kicked our ass this year. I respect Rodney Terry. Shout-out Caitlin Clark of Iowa, women's basketball player. She had the first, or not the first, but... She had a 40-point triple-double. I believe it was the first 40-point triple-double tournament history, male or female. Yes, it is. The first 30-point triple-double in NCAA men's or women's tournament history. She eclipsed that by a wide margin. I believe she ended with 40. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. So, I mean, she's a hooper. I think, wow. I think she's projected to go number one in the WNBA draft. I'm not going to pretend to know the WNBA, dude. That's a no-go. Like I, 
that means I'm off the show, I'm sorry, but I'll send you a letter or something. Hey, you might get canceled. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I mean, she she really is. She's talented. I don't know WNBA, but I think she is projected to go number one. She's like one of the top players in women's hoops. I just wanted to shout her out. And shout out to KC Influence in college sports over the month of March. So over the month of March, Kansas City had four straight weeks of basketball tournaments. The MIAA, so Division II, like Pitt State, Emporia, Washburn, Central Missouri, teams like that. They were in Kansas City. You had the Big 12 tournament. You had the NAIA tournament, I believe, which that I think that's the whole NAIA as a collective. You had the, and then, of course, the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. And then coming up in the next two years, Kansas City is going to host NCAA Wrestling in 2024 and the NCAA Volleyball Championships in 2025. And they are also bidding for the NCAA Basketball Tournament to return in 2027. So shout out to Kathleen Nelson because I'm sure she's played a huge role in that for the Kansas City Sports Commission. I love Kansas City getting these events. Not very many people probably know that. And we'll keep it hardwood as we kind of wind down on this 47th episode of Bar Top Sports Talk. I got one more thing for KU. 7-1, 260-pound center Hunter Dickinson of Michigan has entered the transfer portal. We know Big Lo- Bill loves rolling two big men. Just saying. He averaged 18-9. and He would definitely be a huge get considering the departures we've had this offseason. Let's go after him. We're now, what, up to six? Six subtractions with Grady Dick entering the NBA draft? Yeah, as long as Grady doesn't, what do you call it? Like they have until like May something before they can decide to come back or not. But he's not testing the waters like you normally say. He full on said he's going. Yeah, I believe he's a projected late lottery pick. Yeah, I think I saw today one of the most recent NBA.com mock draft had him uh, going to the Mavericks at the 11th pick. I mean, you never know until it gets here. But... That wouldn't be a bad landing spot, I suppose. Be a shooter for Luka. Yeah. Okay, now it's in the NBA. Go. No power rankings this week, as I mentioned. No players of the week. We're already essentially moving on to week 25 almost. Week 24, though, some of the news that's circulated around the association. The Kings made the playoffs for the first time since 2006. Shout out Beam City. I'm going to hold that L. Me too. I roasted them for weeks. I wanted them to lose just so they could move back to Kansas City. I think that's gone now. It is. The city of Sacramento has definitely gotten behind them. And I think you're definitely going to see the the city come out and show a lot of support while they're in the playoffs. I mean, it's the first time in 13 years. Long time. No, actually, more than that. But it's it's going to be – I'm excited for them. You know, good for them. It was like 2011 or 2012, I think, when they lost the Spurs. I believe so. I actually think that they had the longest playoff drought in North American sports 
over the past, I think, 20 years or something like that. Isn't it cool we don't have to worry about that anymore with our team? It is. Knock on wood for at least the next 20 years. It is. Now, th- there are still plenty of droughts for wins. Yeah. I think that they're up there as well. The Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, you know, teams like that. But as you mentioned, thank God we don't have to worry about anything like that. The Pelicans are heating up. New Orleans Pelicans, after go- losing 10 straight at one point this season, looking like they were going to pack in the season. We talked about it on <laughs> the Forgotten Podcast episode, episode 36, that at one point do the Pelicans consider just, you know, packing the season up and letting Zion rest, get ready for next year. Well, now they're right in the mix. They're at the seventh seed. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. And they're training in the right direction. They just beat the... I can't remember who they just beat. I watched a little bit of the game. They just beat the Nuggets. Now, the Nuggets didn't have Jokic, of course, but still, to go on the road to Denver, the number one seed, and beat them. Yeah, the Nuggets haven't been playing very well lately. They, I think they, they'll win out with the one seed, but... Technically, it's still up in the air since there's five games left. It is. That was, I think that's, that'd be a cool story because then if the Pelicans do make it, Zion has to play, right? I don't know. Every time that dude comes back, he might have a week. But in the playoff, maybe, I don't know. I was trying to look at the seeding, but it's still too hard because just like tonight, I think there's eight games with playoff implications in the West. Or seven, something like that. I guess it would all just depend on who the matchup is. Maybe see if you can get past the first round without him. Or just play him limited minutes. But also, he has to get into conditioning. You guys think he hasn't been able to do any conditioning at all. Like, at all. The best way to get into conditioning for basketball is playing basketball. Because it's different than just running on a treadmill or cutting or stopping. I don't know, man. With his injuries and stuff, I, I feel like you have to... Be very careful. Like I know it's the playoffs, and when they were all healthy playing together, he won. Like he won a chip, but with his injuries, man, I think you might just have to chill out. Cause what just was it last week when we did the podcast that doesn't exist? They released it would be a couple more weeks before they reevaluate him again. I believe so. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, it's just especially with how he lands like that. I don't know. I didn't take the conditioning aspect into consideration i don't think a lot of people have either because in the back of your mind you're thinking oh the pelicans are right there zion has to play if they make the playoffs but yeah you do have to do a lot of ramping up and uh, preparation to get in to get ready for that type of workload that you're going to take on i mean i don't know how much pool work he's doing but we know for a fact he's not lifting weights he's not on the treadmill he's not doing anything like that i mean you got to think that takes that normally takes a couple weeks to rev back up. That is true. And it's not like you can go out and play somebody like that. Anyone coming off a time off like that, you're not going to play him full load, especially with Zion. How many minutes do you play him? Because once you play him, especially with his injury, the injuries before this, it's like kind of once you play him 10 minutes, do you really want him to cool down and play again in the second half? I would say it's this. you weird. You could bring him off the bench. 
And I think their starting five is good enough to where you could do that. And he could probably get at least 15 minutes a game. Yeah, I want to see him healthy. I just, it's one of those awkward situations where if they play him and he gets hurt, they're going to be, you know, ridiculed. Someone's going to get fired for letting him play. But if they don't play him and then they lose, it's going to be like, well, you should have played him anyway. So someone's still probably going to be fired or in trouble. So it's kind of a sticky situation. They're interesting. We're going to take a look at them before we wrap up the NBA segment as we look at the playoffs. Another kind of story that was going around the NBA this week, Patrick Beverly, the ultimate troll. But then it backfired on him. Austin Reeves got him back. That dude's a hooper. How about the hype that he's been getting lately? He's a hooper. I mean, if he can get to the line 10 times a game, you know, maybe hit a couple threes, get you a couple boards. I mean, maybe it's just they've dealt with so many injuries or trying to change things around. But he looks really good so far. He honestly is a fun player to watch. It was weird. They were talking about the town he came from. I think they said it was Arkansas or Louisiana, something like that. I can't. I thought they said it was a town of like 1,200. It was like something crazy. It might be even less than that. I think it was in Arkansas. You're probably right. I thought that was wild. Just a random nerdy white dude, just undrafted. Playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, winning games. Being a contributor. Like, that's crazy. And only his second year, too. That is, it's impressive to see. Now, another one. This is kind of old news a little bit. It was reported that Ben Simmons is being shut down for the rest of the season. Because the Brooklyn Nets are still in playoff contention. They're actually in the sixth seed right now. What do you think Ben Simmons' future is with the Brooklyn Nets? I'm not sure he ever plays again. Basketball? I'm serious. I not, really don't think he will. Not even with uh, the the Wongdong Dragons? I don't think there's any way he plays in the NBA now. I think he could have played this season or the second half of it. It started off with the mental health thing, and then it was like, oh, wait, no, my back hurts. There's just too many weird things going with him like that. He is an interesting story. I think he's a, he's a case study. He needs to be studied by a sports psychologist. You'd think he'd have to. I mean, you'd think at this point he's surely seen them. You'd think. Because it all went downhill after that Atlanta series. He misses the layup. He passed it out. I get what he was trying to do. And I get it, that loss is forever, but it's like all the greatest players ever have missed shots. They've all blown games, whether it's high school, NBA, stuff like that. You just learn to get over it, but if that's something he can't get over, then I don't know. He's just never been really aggressive enough as a scorer, and that's really been the downfall of his career. Because if you think about it, he was an elite defender. He was pro- I believe he made an all-defensive first team one yeah. year. I think you could say he was probably an elite playmaker. Yeah, he could guard all five positions really well. He'd get his teammates involved. He was a great facilitator. It's just like, what happened? So I, I did want to talk about that. I, I thought that was interesting. Another player that got shut down, Damian Lillard. The Portland Trailblazers, it was the, the path to the playoffs was just too much to overcome. I think it's a smart decision. He is in his early 30s. You don't want to put any more miles on his legs than you have to, especially if you're not going to make the playoffs. So I think it's a smart decision, I guess, by the Portland Trailblazers. It's unfortunate. He's 
He's one of the best players in the NBA. It just sucks. I wish that he he's one of the most respected guys too. Yeah. Give him an extra week in Cancun. He deserves it. <laughs> the things that that dude's had to endure. Definitely a lot more than a lot of other NBA players. And honestly, he's handled it really well, if you think about it, compared to other guys like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Those guys would never have lasted a day with the Portland Trail Blazers and, the sh- and even being in the shoes that Damian Lillard had to fill. Dude, I think 99% of people wouldn't have been able to deal with that. Like, knowing that I could be a meme forever like Charles Barkley and never win a ring, I'm starting to get older. I've given my entire career to this team no matter what. Dude, I'm leaving. I'm getting a ring. I'm not going to be a meme forever. <laughs> I mean, I, I would completely understand if he did. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him. It, it is. It would be cool to see him stick it out just because nowadays you don't see players stick with one team. That was, that was the era of Dirk. That was the era of Kobe, Tim Duncan. You're not, you're not probably you're probably never gonna see that ever again in the NBA. They've proven they don't have loyalty to the players. So I don't understand why they have to have so much loyalty to the franchise or that makes them snake. That is true too. If I could leave my job and get a better pay somewhere else, wouldn't you call me stupid not to? That is a fair point. Like he's putting himself in a better place for success. Because right now, without a ring. He could retire with all the great players who are playing right now, like as long as they don't get hurt and people who are retiring within the next few years. He doesn't have a chip. I mean, that could be the difference between him not making it into the Hall of Fame or not. I know he's had some crazy scores, but I don't know. That winning is really important for the Hall of Fame, that title. That is true. Steve Nash got in, right? Yes. And Charles got in, but that's very few. I think it's to the point to where also you can have as much pride as you want to. But also that pride, yeah, I don't know, man. I like, you know, he wants to have pride and play for the same franchise his whole career, bring a chip to court. But it's like, dude, give it another year or two. You're going to be in trade talks. They're going to be moving you. You might as well go somewhere while you're still good, great, and win a ring. I feel like it'd almost be a tarnish to his career to not go somewhere that's just the way the NBA is now. Go win a ring. Unfortunately, it has come to that. I wish I wish that wasn't the case. It would be, as I mentioned, I, I, it would be cool to see somebody in today's game stay with the team. But that that organization really hasn't done any favors either. No, so, they've tried. They've made moves. It's just nothing has ever worked out. A little bit, yeah. They, they have had a little bit of bad luck with some injuries. McCollum's missed time. He's missed time. Uh, Nurkic, there was high hopes for him at the center position, but even he's missed time and really hasn't lived up to the expectations. So it, it's a little unfortunate. But speaking about Hall of Fame, did you see that the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame has released its 2023 class, or for the, the finalists for the 2023 class? No, I didn't see that. You didn't? No. Oh, this is going to be a treat for you, buddy. Hyped. Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowinski, Paul Gasol, Tony Parker, Becky Hammond, and Greg Popovich are the finalists for the 2023 Naismith Hall of Fame. Okay. I think, I mean, all of them are deserving. All of them are goaded. Dude, Dwayne Wade is so cool. People hate on him, but he, fun fact, he was actually one of my favorite players. And 
before the Heatles, the big three. Yeah. The Heat were actually my favorite team before the Celtics. He's a cool dude. When Dwayne Wade was just doing it by himself, and then Shaq was there, of course, too. That was actually my favorite team. I actually had like an off-brand Shaq jersey of the Miami Heat. Those are the best jerseys. You got to think, though, you know, Dwayne Wade has a Hall of Fame career. Imagine if those knees could have been you know, healthier just another couple seasons, what his numbers could look like. It would, it would have made a big difference, too. I do agree there. Now, to round off episode 47, again, air quotations, if you've been following along. We're going to talk about some NFL real quick. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the owners' meeting took place this past week. Some of the highlights. Roger Goodell is up for an extension. The owners have the opportunity to agree to extend him, or they have the opportunity to out him as the commissioner of the NFL. I think they're going to extend him, though. Yeah, probably. He, I don't know, he, he appeases them. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he appeases the, the fan base. I don't think he appeases the media, but he keeps the owners happy. And I think that's what matters most. That's all that matters. Especially to those people. Yeah, to the people in charge. That's all that matters. Thursday night football, there's the possibility the NFL players, or not the NFL Players Association, but the NFL is toying with the idea of flexing Thursday night games. Now, if you're not familiar with what a flexing schedule is, for example, say the, who are the bad teams? The, the Houston Texans and the Tennessee Titans were scheduled for a Sunday night football game. Or they say they were scheduled for a Thursday night football game. Obviously, two bottom barrel teams. The NFL is looking to potentially flex them out and move them to a Sunday game and replace that with a more competitive game, especially later in the season as playoff implications become more important. But think about the playoff teams like a Kansas City, Buffalo, a Philly, a San Francisco. You're then giving those teams multiple Thursday night games just because you want a more competitive product for Amazon TV or for Thursday night football on Amazon. Sounds like a good way for somebody to get hurt. And that's been the biggest concern and the biggest frustration for the players. Now, I don't know if every owner will agree with this. There's actually been some of that were outspoken. The New York Giants owner was completely against it, and I'm sure many others will as well. I can't imagine our owner, Clark Hunt, for the Kansas City Chiefs, I can't imagine that he would agree to that. Sure, would it be cool to have the Chiefs be on Thursday Night Football multiple times throughout the NFL season? Of course. Realistically, is it a good idea? No. I've seen a couple different takes on that, on how they could switch it around and make it better to where, you know, you could get injured at any time, I know, but on short week like that, it's even more of a risk. But I've seen things they could tweak it to make it better. It would be cool because those Thursday games last season, those were trash. But also, you don't want to do that at the expense of the players, too. So, I'm indifferent, I guess. They probably have a better plan than what we all know, or at least a better way to go about it, or at least I hope. But as of right now, it doesn't sound very good. Black and white. It's going to be interesting to see how they approach Thursday Night Football as a whole and the potential of getting rid of it in the future. You just never know with that. Another highlight to come from the owners' meeting, players are now able to wear the number zero. And I wanted to highlight this for you, Ryan. Got a shout-out, Piccolo. Double zero. 
Double zero. If you're an NFL player, would you try to rock double zero? That's the only jersey I'd wear. They could find me every game. I wonder if they let, uh, will allow that. I know they allow single zero, but I wonder if they'll allow the double zero. Oh, they'd let a talent me do it. I respect it. I, I believe they would. I'd make enough money. I'd cover those fines. <laughs> I think the only professional sports league that you see it in is hockey, I want to say, but definitely the NBA. You've seen double zero before. Think about the NFL field. That'd be interesting to see. That'd be cool. What positions could wear it? Didn't it say like anything except offensive or defensive line? Yeah, probably those two positions, I would assume. I think they want to keep offensive linemen at least 50 to 70 range. Defensive linemen have free range, unless you're probably like a defensive tackle. But even but the edge rushers like Hassan Reddick comes to mind from the Philadelphia Eagles. He wore number seven this year. So, I mean, they're, they're being a lot more lenient with it for, I guess, the trench players. I thought, that was, I thought that was pretty cool, though. This was the biggest one. This made headline news. I don't know if you saw it, and I don't know if you listening have all seen it. The owners officially approved 32 approved votes. So the entire owner, all the owners in the NFL approved this. On-site sports books at stadiums. That's cool. I like it. Think about how much revenue that could generate. I say go for it. I think that's an awesome addition. I think every sport should do it. That's awesome. Obviously, there's the cons. Gambling, you do have to be cautious. It can be addictive. We've, there's obviously been people that have gone the wrong, down the wrong path because of it. You definitely have to be responsible about it. and something you definitely have to take serious. But the potential of it. They let alcohol at games. Yeah. You know, you most people bring their vape pens and stuff in like that. So it's like, I think it'd be the same as that if you can let that in. Might as well let sports but The people will also, the, the other gripe about it will be, will it influence the game? I mean, it's scripted anyway, right? <laughs> According to some. But it, it, it could, you know. I, I, there's no facts that it's happened. It's never been proven that it's happened. Obviously, it's been hinted at. I'm sure the higher-ups have some influence. It, it could produce a negative product on the field. But the, just, just the potential, the revenue that it could generate, the fan engagement, I think it, it just it's another added factor to the game day experience. I think it'd be really cool. I know some people will disagree with it, but I think it'd be, it'd be awesome, especially at Arrowhead. Just think about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL is an entertainment business too. You got to keep that too. And then this was also interesting too. This was something that local Kansas City's radio hosts pointed out. So it, for example, Arrowhead hosts stadium events over the summer. Say Taylor Swift or other concerts. I'll be there. I did not know that, but that's that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but say the sports book is open. You could then go, if you're not feeling the Taylor Swift concert, you could then go to the sports book and hang out. But the state of Missouri has to pass it first, which they were actually, it, it got approved, but now it has to go to the, the Senate floor from Missouri. So I think it's, it has to be the next thing, especially with the owners approving this. Missouri has to. You legalize recreational use of marijuana. Oh, they'll drag their feet, but they have to. 
I think so too. Now to officially round off episode 47 of Bar Talk Sports Talk. A little quick Chiefs update. Not much. I believe within the coming weeks. I know I've talked about it a few times, but me and Ryan will be filling out our mock drafts. For this week? No. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about say, it. I'm going to have to take PTO off. I'm going <laughs> to have to. Got my man sweating over here. Oh, for real. Actually, since this is the last episode of March, we are on the cusp of officially being draft month in Kansas City. Tomorrow, April 1st, it'll be draft month. Very excited about that. The Chiefs are still in search of a wide receiver. They are still in talks of potentially trading for DeAndre Hopkins. At this point, I'm not opposed to it. Or potentially signing Odell Beckham Jr. I'm okay with it if the money is right. I'd rather go for Hop. I would, I would as well. Just like with Odell's, uh, what do you call it? What do you call that? His what, practice with the Cowboys or showcase, whatever. If that dude was able to win or play, they'd have got somebody would have picked. What is he, 32 or 3? 30, exactly, I believe. Three ACL surgeries in the last like four years or four Two. surgeries in the last five years. But it was on the same knee, right? Yes, two ACLs, yeah. I'm not saying he can't come back and be great, but it's to the point, is he even a number two anymore? For the Chiefs, I think so. Well, yeah, for the Chiefs, I don't know, though. I guess we'd have to see. I mean, I have faith in the organization to make the right call. And we'll actually, I mean, we're going to learn more players the, through the draft, some names that we'll throw out there within the coming weeks. We'll have that for you all as well. And then now to finally wrap up the episode, the Chiefs super fan, Chiefs Holic, if you've been following the story, it's been in the news, the local news. He is the Chiefs super fan. He, last year before the Super Bowl, was arrested going to Houston. Now what he would do to attend these games, he would rob banks. And I don't know if he robbed banks with his, his like Casey Wolf gear on, essentially, but he would rob banks to then pay for his expenses for these games and hotel stay. Well, he would he was on house arrest, I believe, or he was getting ready for, I believe, due process or so, and he had an ankle monitor on, and he had to post bail. He skipped bail, cut off his ankle monitor, and I believe he had, I want to say he had, money already placed on the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes for future bets. I believe he cashed out that money, which was around a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And then took that and that's his flea money. So he is now on the run. I don't believe he's armed. So Kansas City, you are safe for now at least. He's been a funny story though. Like I've never seen a, a super fan do uh do things like that. Oh there'll be a movie about it. That's crazy when you think about a super fan robbing banks using the pro or I don't know, proceeds is the right word, but that money to place bets on a team and won a hundred bands from money that he stole from a bank. It was armed robbery too, right? Yeah, technically, it was a it was a pellet gun or like a, an airsoft gun. Oh yeah, he's a Chiefs fan. Oh my <laughs> god. So I mean, it, it's still wrong. You know, I'm not going to justify it, but like... Is it legendary, though? Yes. 100%. Definitely. 
wouldn't advise it, though. No, absolutely not. <laughs> That's where we leave off for episode 47. We hope you guys all enjoyed. We hope you guys didn't miss us too much. We'll see you guys for episode 48.